0: Well, hey, Kindred, I am happy you're here. Welcome to our third week of Advent, this season marked by waiting and anticipation as we remember how the world waited and looked forward to the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. We have spent the last few weeks reflecting on this story that we celebrate at Christmas about a baby in a manger, and we have tried to reimagine it as it really happened. Talking realistically about these human details that we see represented in the story and allowing them to teach us something about God. On week one, we talked about the details that we assume are in the story, but are actually never explicitly mentioned in the text. Things like Mary must have rode on a donkey or there must have been a cantankerous innkeeper that turned them away, or that there were three wise men. Though our assumptions about God aren't limited to the Christmas story. We all carry within us assumptions about God, how he works and who he's for. These assumptions and expectations often limit us from experiencing God as He is and where He is because we're looking for something else. Advent reminds us of how God uses surprise to melt our assumptions and soften our expectations, opening ourselves up to mystery, to bewilderment, to experiencing God in places and in ways we had never imagined. And then last week, we talked about this detail given to Mary, that she would conceive and give birth, the way the Christmas story uniquely centers around a woman's body. In those first few fragile weeks of pregnancy, Jesus's heart began to beat within Mary. God chose to take on a fleshy human heart, vessels and blood and tissue and muscle, and he chose to trust a 15-year-old girl's flesh to protect and grow and nurture the very heart of Jesus. We find in this detail the way we no longer have to go searching beyond ourselves to meet with God. We no longer have to journey up a mountain or to the temple or to a building. Advent reminds us of how God has stepped into our reality, that his presence can be found in our pulse, that he is as close as our very heartbeat. Jesus has made his home among us. So I want to continue this conversation about the heart of Jesus this week, his human heart. Last week, we zoomed in on the significance of his heartbeat, and this week, I want us to reflect on his heartbreak, how his heart held the same needs, desires, and vulnerabilities that ours do. Heartbreak is one of those universal human experiences. I had my first heartbreak in seventh grade, and his name was Jordan Swindell. He was this really shy, quiet kid with dirty blonde curly hair, and he had biceps, which is rare for a middle school boy, and so I was into it. The extent of our junior high romance included sitting together at lunch, maybe holding hands in the hallway, and I had a picture of him on the front of my three-ring binder. So this was before the trauma of MySpace Top 8, but we would make these collages on the front of your binder, and then that told everyone who your friends were. But Jordan eventually broke up with me. And I remember my mom picked me up and she took me out to lunch that day so that I didn't have to endure the awkward avoidance in the cafeteria. But rejection at 12 years old feels a lot like heartbreak. And I was so sad. But heartbreak isn't always romantic, of course, and it comes in all different shapes and sizes. Our hearts have been broken in many ways, many times over. When we learned what it feels like to be the only one not invited to the sleepover. When we learned what it felt like to watch what you thought was your future dissolve right in front of you. Or when we learned what it feels like to go grow apart from friends that we thought we would have for life. When we learn what it feels like to helplessly watch someone you love suffer. Or when we learn what it feels like to lose someone, whether it be to sickness or death or estrangement. Heartbreak does something to us. It leaves us exposed. This is what we're describing when we use the term heartbreak, that our heart That innermost part of us, our very center and our core, has been torn open or splintered or shattered in some way, exposing everything that was inside of it our feelings, our insecurities, our fragility, our hopes, what we really wanted, not just what we said we wanted or what we let on that we wanted. And then we walk around feeling like all of this stuff that was in us is now spilling out of us, and we can't help but feel our feelings in these inconvenient public places, crying in the Uber, or at the coffee shop with that friend, or in the school pickup line. In heartbreak, there's no hiding, concealing, or pretending how much we cared, how invested we were, or how blind or foolish we were. It all becomes plain to see. Heartbreak bears us to the world and it unveils the most personal and intimate parts of who we are. In becoming human, Jesus was not exempt from heartbreak, from this unique vulnerability and emotional exposure. And I think that sometimes this confuses us or it might make some of us uncomfortable. Author and artist Scott Erickson points out. Part of why we might feel reluctant to embrace a dependent, needy, emotionally bare Jesus are these assumptions and expectations that we have about strength and about power. What it's supposed to look like and behave like. He points to this verse that, We visited a few times in our study of Isaiah, and I want to return to it tonight for just a minute. And this verse is foreshadowing this moment that we now see coming to life in the Christmas story. It's this long awaited rescue has finally come. And it reads For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's an interesting paradox here within these first few sentences. It reads, this child, this child will be called Mighty God. What do we think of when we think of might? Strength, maybe, or dominance, or force. We might recall stories of God's strength demonstrated in things like plagues or storms or seas being split in half. And these are certainly all examples of God's power and sovereignty. But here in the Christmas story, our mighty God appears as a naked infant who can't even hold up the weight of his own head. I think we often imagine that because he was God, Jesus must have been superhuman, that he had no weakness, that he had no needs, that he was impervious to pain or hardship or wounding, and we'd then prefer to preserve the image of him in our minds, flipping tables at the synagogue, or the returning Jesus of Revelation with tattoos and fire in his eyes coming on the clouds. Maybe our idea of God doesn't allow for him to be vulnerable. Because, what would it mean if he was? What would it mean for us if God disclosed and opened himself up to us and to the world? Or maybe we think that a Jesus who is capable of experiencing heartbreak and pain is less reliable and trustworthy, that in his humanity, the things that we need him to be for us strong and bulletproof and impenetrable are somehow. Compromised. But his heart, his human heart that beat and that was broken, is actually the very thing that makes him trustworthy and reliable. It is what makes him capable of saving us, of rescuing us. I want to highlight a few moments from this story as Luke tells it that I believe confront us with Jesus' own fragility with his own need, how his humanity left him exposed and open and susceptible. So Mary is nearing the end of her pregnancy, and the Roman emperor issues this census of the entire Roman world. And so Mary and Joseph, they leave Nazareth, and they have to go back to his ancestral home, which is why they end up in Bethlehem. This is when we read, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. Now, we don't get to read Mary's entire birth story in scripture how it started, and how long it lasted. We are spared all of those details, but without them, sometimes I think we forget just how vulnerable childbirth truly is, that it is gory and bloody, and that it can sometimes be violent and dangerous, especially in the first century. There was no monitoring her contractions. And there was no option of an epidural. There were no sterile tools and an OB on call in case of an emergency C-section. Now, we don't have to think too deeply about this, but from the way that Luke captures the story, we're able to gather that Mary wasn't prepared to deliver in Bethlehem, that they were traveling. And there is no mention of a midwife or a healer of any kind to guide her through this. For the first time, I was recently reminded of just how much has the potential to suddenly change or shift during labor and delivery. One of my good friends just graduated from medical school and he is in his first year of residency. And when he was sharing with us about his time during his OB rotation, as someone who witnessed many of the ways that things can become complicated and dangerous, It just made him appreciate how truly miraculous it is when both a mom and her baby make it through this process safely. So much has to go right at just the same time. This is to say that birth is risky. Even with all of our medical advancement and intervention, birth in this very specific way it demanded vulnerability from Jesus. This is how mighty God comes to us. Having been under duress in birth as he made his way here, mighty God arrives naked, exposed as a helpless newborn, a newborn unable to see beyond his own hunger his own instinctual need to be rocked and shushed and swaddled, looking to be comforted by the scent of his mom as she nursed him and lulled him back to sleep as she fought off exhaustion. So after his birth, and after the shepherds have come to visit, and after Jesus had been taken to the temple to be dedicated a week later, as all firstborn Jewish baby boys were, Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth with their newborn, Jesus. And then Luke goes on to write this. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Now these are just two little sentences tucked away right in the middle of this long story that we might miss or just read right over. But they are saying so much. Jesus did not enter the world with a sense of superiority. Already knowing how to function, he did not come to us with his full adult capacities, but his humanity also required him to grow up, to learn, to be taught, to become. I believe this is part of what Paul is capturing in Philippians when he writes, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. Mighty God had to be taught. He had to take direction and instruction. I have a toddler at home, and so I can't help but imagine when it says that this child grew up healthy and strong, I imagine the way Jesus' small little hands wrapped around Mary's as he learned to take his first wobbly, very top-heavy steps. As his little voice emerged in undecipherable gibberish as he uttered, Mama as he learned to cope with frustration, and how he learned to tolerate waiting and how to take turns. There's this moment a few verses later where Luke gives us this snapshot of when Jesus is 12. And I want us to, for a moment, just imagine 12-year-old Jesus. In many ways, he understood the world and God better than the adults around him. But he did not escape his voice cracking, Or body odor or breakouts. He did not escape his body changing or his friendships changing, as they often do when you're 12. Jesus was not above toddlerhood or even puberty, but he humbled himself, opening himself up to these ordinary and inescapable parts of being human, and at each phase, enduring just like we do heartbreak along the way vulnerable to being left out and left behind by his siblings vulnerable to being misunderstood by family vulnerable to loneliness as he went to weddings as a single guy vulnerable to the sting of loss and death as he sat with his friend's sisters at a funeral in becoming human jesus took on every aspect of our humanity, making him open and vulnerable to every human thought and emotion and experience outside of sin that we might have. It's important that we remember that while Jesus is God, fully divine, he is also human in every way possible, from the way he thinks, his cognition, the way his brain developed, to his feelings, his emotional life, and his mental health, to his biology, that he had to eat, and sleep, and rest, and go to the bathroom. A passage from the book of Hebrews puts it like this, for we do not have a high priest, which is a representative before God, who is unable to empathize." with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. The word for empathize here, it means to suffer alongside. It means to know heartbreak. Every kind of suffering that there is to know Jesus is deeply acquainted with. Every feeling that you have had to navigate when we feel out of place or strange or or on the outside, when a friend walks away from us, when people that we are close to get sick and deteriorate, when we're made fun of or belittled. Every shade of disappointment, betrayal, and abandonment. Jesus has co-suffered it all. There is a profound comfort in this kind of solidarity, that in our struggle and in our suffering, when we feel fragile, like our heart has been ripped open and exposed to the world, Jesus does not belittle our weakness. But in his vulnerability, opened himself up to that same darkness. He stepped into it, endured it, and said, I will share this with you. A shared experience, it gives way to this kind of solidarity. This sort of deep-seated empathy that can't be contrived. It can't be forced or made up. But you feel it viscerally. You feel it in your bones that all of a sudden you know exactly what it feels like to be in someone else's shoes. Jesus's human heart allowed him this kind of compassion with us, this kind of connection and empathy with us. I had this recent experience that gave me, I think, just a window into how this kind of solidarity works. So I was recently on a trip um, without my toddler. So I was only responsible for carrying my belongings and it felt so nice. Um, But while I was traveling and especially while I was on the plane and I saw these other parents and families with their kids, I felt immediately connected to them. And they were complete strangers. I had never met them. I didn't know their names. I had no idea where they were coming from or where they were going or what their life was about. But I suddenly felt um, as if I knew exactly what it was they were thinking and feeling and experiencing. I thought about the way they had to wake up hours before they had to be at the airport to be sure that the kids were up and ready and that all their things were packed and good to go. I thought about the juggle it is to get through security with the stroller and the diaper bag and your cooler full of breast milk and then your own carry-on. And then I thought about the panic and the compulsive rocking and shushing and snack feeding to just keep your kid from crying on this plane, to avoid those side glances that you know you're going to get from across the aisle. I immediately felt this sense of connection with these people who I had never met. Or maybe you know what it is to care for a sick or elderly parent or grandparent, to move them into your home at the end of life for hospice. If you have been through this yourself and you hear someone else describing it to you or expressing that they too are facing it, you immediately begin to think of the way the house begins to smell different sterile from the morphine, the way when you open up the cabinet to grab a plate for breakfast, all the medication that they're on is staring you in the face, and it haphazardly falls out of the cabinet, or the way the room where they passed, it never quite goes back to what it was before, but it will always remain marked and different. See, there is not one part of being us of being a living, breathing, suffering human that God has distanced himself from. There is not one part of having to go through this life that God has not said, I will not share with you. There is not one part of himself that he has kept hidden or withdrawn from you, but he has bared himself to the world. Jesus' humanity It is the key to our rescue. He had to become vulnerable to the point of death, the weight of sin and evil and darkness crushing his heart so that it stopped beating, so that he could be resurrected three days later. It happened no other way. Redemption for all humanity. It had to be won in his human heart. A heart that beat and a heart that was broken and spilled out for you and for me. Advent reminds us that Jesus' might, it was not in his brute strength or his dominance or his force, but in his humbling, in his willingness to open his heart to a human existence. to subject his heart to damage and pain. And loss, revealing that there is no grief he does not understand. There is no hurt that he has not stood in. And so, when we talk of Jesus becoming human at Christmas, being born a baby, having to grow healthy and strong, living within the full scope of human existence, opening himself up to relationship and eventually death we are talking about hope that our hope was in his very heart breaking the power of mighty god is that he shared himself with us that he opened himself up to that brokenness and by his body bruised and brutalized and put to death our hearts are made new our hearts are transformed and our hearts begin to heal.